But I want to just say we're taking a break from working through the Gospel of Luke. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a long time now. And I just want to make a comment that we're doing a deep dive in the Gospel of Luke because we're doing a deep dive into the life of Jesus. This isn't like reading or watching biographies. I love doing that. But this is something far more than that. We are doing this because we want to grow in him. We want to become like Jesus. Remember that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus made that claim about himself. To have the life of Jesus that we admire, we must not only know his truth, that would be theology, that would be principles, that would be ethics, right? But we also must um, walk in his way. So, so it's not just knowing his truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way is living the way that he did, doing the things he did, walking how he walked, living how he showed us to walk. So here's how I'd say this. To have the life of Jesus, we must live the lifestyle of Jesus, right? So we admire Jesus. That is why we are spending time reading about him, studying him, looking to, to emulate him, learn from him. And to do that, we are looking at the Gospels, one of the ways that God um, speaks to us. So this year is really like no other. Um, and, and shutting down the whole world from personal contact has been a nightmare for some of you, right? You extroverts are like just going crazy, especially if you have one roommate. Here's a hint, your roommate's going crazy too, right? If you're an extrovert and the only person you can connect with is that one other person, your spouse or your roommate or your sibling or your friend, man, they're, they're praying for a reprieve as well. But for others of you, shutting down the world from human contact, it felt like you've won the lottery, Right? You're a homebody. You love being alone. You're energized by being alone. You would rather connect with people from a distance. You're not what you'd call a hugger. Right? And so you are thrilled at this. And you're like, oh, bummer. We're still in shelter in place. So that's just the, the, the way it is. Now, technology has allowed for us to streamline our lives, and it's removed all those pesky annoyances, like interacting with people. Now, this used to be only for introverts and homebodies and couch potatoes, but in 2020, it's for everyone. So I want to show you a little training video for how to keep growing in your Christian faith right from the comfort of your own home. Okay, so take a look. For far too long, people of faith have been asked to go outside and do stuff. And that's fine if that's your bag, but what about those who say, no, that's not my bag. I don't want to go outside and do stuff. Well, you're in luck. Now you can live the Christian life without leaving your couch. Attend church in your pajamas. Just choose your settings. Pick your style of music. You can even play a face-melting solo with the worship band. Rock on! Join a small group and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you get tired of them, just create new ones. Challenge your small group leader to a duel if you don't like his message. And everyone knows the Christian life is more than just being fed. So get your avatar out there in the virtual community and do your part. Be a fisher of men. Pray for the sick, 
volunteer at an orphanage. Feed the homeless. Start your own prison ministry. And when things get out of hand, teach those thugs how to turn the other cheek. Fulfill the Great Commission from the seated position. Live out your faith from the safety and comfort of your own living room. We Faith, virtual church for the virtual Christian, from Nantanel. I love that. When you get sick of your community group mates, you just create new ones. I think that video was made as a, as a huge mock of things, like way before this, but doesn't that like kind of resonate powerfully in the year 2020 where we find ourselves? I want you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It's a really familiar passage, especially on a community group Sunday, but I want you to take a look at it with fresh eyes in this season. You know, one of the things that Shelter in Place has done um, is to wake us up to some really important questions. Questions like, what is church, right? And questions like, what is Christian community? What's my role in it? How do I do this? I've been looking at, at this year as this is the year that God has been using all these trials to sort of take the chessboard and like knock all the pieces off and, and forcing everyone to rethink strategy, rethink what they do things, rethink definitions of what things actually are. All the pieces are off the board and we're forced to start over, not just individually or as families, but corporately. Churches that had all kinds of programs scheduled, gone, not happening anymore, and so it's forced them to start over. If you read the Old Testament, it's like the year of Jubilee, right? God's just like saying, reset, and this, is a, this is a forced restart on your life. Right when there's problems and your life is, or when your computer's sluggish, your your phone's acting up. What's the first thing you do? You do a force restart, right? And that's kind of what's happening right now. It's forcing us, if we're paying attention, to answer and reevaluate some really important questions. Even this idea of meeting together. What does that look like? And is there a way to do it um, if if there are forces in play that keep us from doing it in person? In January, we did a series on the church, and it was called um, Beautiful Day for Our Neighborhood, playing off of a Mr. Rogers-themed idea. Remember that God has a perfect design for the church, and Christians will always execute in a flawed manner. We will always do church improperly. We will do relationships and community and worship improperly. So there's perfect design and flawed execution. What was the exhortation in January, remember? It was when there is flawed execution, when it goes sideways, which it will. You don't bail, you don't run, you don't check out, you don't try something different. What do you do? You return to the perfect design. When church goes sideways, when your relationships go sideways, when your marriage isn't the way the Bible describes it, you don't bail and check out. You go back to the perfect design. God has a perfect design for how we do church, for how we relate to each other, for, his, for how we carry out his mission. Acts 2.42 is a passage I want to read right now. Now, sometimes people I, sort of idealize the early church. 
and it's easier to sort of read in the scriptures and, and read between the lines and think that if only my church were like this, if only God were moving like this. And it doesn't take long to realize that, um, that the early church was very imperfect. If you just keep reading in Acts or if you um, read in 1 Corinthians, you see just what a total mess they were. So there's flawed execution. But I love this passage of scripture. It's such a powerful and inspirational picture of what's possible for regular everyday Joes and Joettes, like us. Here we go. Acts 2.42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to those things. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Whoa! There's a ton in this passage. Let me highlight just a couple of things as we get started on considering the program of community group. There's a whole lot of urgent intentionality toward relationship here. Notice the words devoted and notice the word daily. It shows up a couple of times. Faith was proved through their actions through sharing, right? Through time in prayer. The tangible concrete nature of selling your stuff and giving the proceeds to someone else who needs some stuff and has no money to buy it. They expressed generosity. Note that they didn't devote themselves only to God. They did devote themselves to God through growing in uh, the truth and knowledge, that would be the the apostles' teaching, in devoting themselves to prayer, right? These are spiritual activities. These are our vertical relationship with God. But they didn't only devote themselves to God. Watch this. They devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to God. Yes, of course, that's first. That's primary. But they also devoted themselves to one another. In verse 42, they devoted to fellowship, and sharing meals. Last one thing to point out before we get started. Look again at verse 44. This is really powerful. It hit me fresh this week. All the believers met together and shared everything. If you highlight in your Bible or circle in your Bible, circle the words all and everything. All the believers met together. No one was left out. No second row to the, to the family circle to the dinner table. Everyone was there. All the believers met together. What did they share? They shared everything. Not only their time and their talent, but their hearts and their stuff and their homes. All the believers met together. And in some translations, they had everything in common. Again, the early church was not perfect. Read your Bibles for context, right? There's all kinds of stuff this goes sideways. 
But this gives little glimpses. There's glimpses in our church history where we go, yes, Lord, this is one of those golden moments I'm going to hold on to and remember that mighty things are powerful. Signs and wonders are taking place in the midst of very ordinary people because of an extraordinary presence of a good God. So we're inspired when we read this to see God's perfect design, to see what can be. We're inspired for more. Our prayer as elders is this, ready? We pray that every member of Neighborhood Bible Church would be connected and committed to a community group. We pray that every member of Neighborhood Bible Church would be connected and committed to a community group. We're going to talk about membership a little bit this morning. I'm, I'm really hoping a ton of regular attenders do as well. But our bar, our prayer bar is, God, would you allow every member, all the believers, to connect into a community group? And, and if they can't, or if they aren't, we know why. And it's a good reason. But that's our prayer, that all the believers, that all the members of this church would be not only um, connected, but really committed to a small group of people. And we pray that, that our devotion to God and to one another would continue to inspire us to a life of uber-sharing. What's uber-sharing? The word share just shows up over and over and over in this text. One of, our, um, one of our words around here, if you're new, is the word share, right? And share is just a massive lifestyle choice. It's something we devote ourselves to. And it comes from texts like this. All right. Let me talk about limits for one second. One of the things that goes on uh, around me all the time as I look is I always see um, things and topics like conferences and books and TED Talks on reaching your potential. You tracking with me? Um, That's major clickbait, right? Reach your potential. I want to reach my potential. Click. Three easy steps to reach your potential. A TED Talk on reaching your potential. A conference, a book. But how many TED Talks, how many books, how many conferences, how many clicks are there um, that go something like this? Three ways to recognize your limits. Reach your potential is glamorous and click-worthy, but recognizing your limits doesn't seem to sell as much. But reaching your potential and recognizing your limitations marries two really important foundational ideas about the human story, the human condition. They're so foundational, they're found in Genesis. It's the idea that you and I, everyone watching this, hearing this, we are made in the image of God. And talk about reaching your potential, right? And we are made from dust. Remember ashes to ashes, dust to dust, all of that stuff. We are, we are made in the image of God and we are made from dust. This means this, that we have both more to us and to our potential than we ever realize, and we are more limited, frail, and temporal than most of us live like is true. Two, not competing ideas, but ideas held in tension. What happens if we only talk about our potential and reaching our potential? I think what we get is modern society. I think we have an epidemic of tired, burned out, worried, distracted, unfulfilled, lonely people. I know that sounds pretty dark, but just look at where money goes towards medication. Look at how people are living their life. 
There's little room for real relationship, much less room for God in our lives. What if we not only recognized our limitations, but actually embraced them? It's one thing to like see and say, okay, that's a limitation, but treat it like the plague. It's another thing to recognize a limitation. Okay, there's a limitation. And actually say, come over here, give me a hug. Let's embrace. Let's, let's get acquainted with each other. Job received both the good and the bad from God, right? And um, he, he refused to question or curse God when his portfolio didn't just go up and to the right. And we look up to Job's faith. God allowed limitations in Job's life, setbacks. How about Paul? The Apostle Paul, who was a giant figure in the early church, God used him in incredible ways. He passionately asked for this thorn in his flesh to be taken away. And you know what his loving Heavenly Father, who's good and perfect and loved Paul, said? No. All right, he says, three times I prayed for this, and you said no. Paul says he learned to be content. He learned contentment even with this thorn in the flesh. In fact, he went on to say, it's actually when we are weak that God unmistakably shines through us. So he says, I'll glory in my weakness all the more. That's what I'm talking about, embracing our limitations. It's not just recognizing them and putting up with them, tolerating them, but celebrating. Said another way, limitations are a gift to us because they show God off all the more. Don't you want to live a life of praise to God? Man, your limitations are actually a gift that shows God off. How about Jesus? Jesus embraced limitation in the ultimate sense. He left the glorious universe he created to come and make this hostile planet his home. He took on decaying flesh, the frustrating need that comes with hunger and thirst and sickness and irritability and misunderstanding and fatigue and all the rest. And he lived within the limits of a body. That's embracing your limitations if there ever was something like that. Do you know that we actually discover our calling by seeing our limitations? When you get a clear sense of who you are and all that you're not, you actually get a clearer sense of your lane to walk in. Think about what lives in your pocket most of the time. Most of us have smartphones that teach us and promote this idea that life is to be limitless. We have unlimited kinds of things that sit on our phone. If you want to read a book and you turn to your phone to get some ideas about what book you might read... You could move from Shakespeare to Dickens to Chicken Soup for Your Soul. Remember early 90s Christianity? Um, all the way to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And you could just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Why? Because every book known to man is living on that phone for purchase, for borrow, for checkout, for listen. Okay, you're sick of that because that sounds sort of overwhelming. I'll just watch something. You flip over to Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime Video. You know, for me, it's actually easier. I spend more time building a list of things I may someday watch than ever sitting down and watching. I don't really have lengthy chunks of time to watch. My kids get annoyed with me because if we watch movies, we often watch it over a series of days, which is like just horrible to movie 
like freaks that are like, no, you've got to sit down and see it the whole, whole, all at once. I don't tend to have those kinds of, of chunks of time. So what I do is I'll build my list out. That looks interesting. That, look, oh, that also looks interesting. Well, if you like this, you may like these 20 suggestions. Well, those do look interesting. And there it goes, limitless. You may say, well, I'm not really a streaming person. You have YouTube sitting on your phone. Uh, if, if you don't watch things at all, you have a little app on your phone called a browser. <laughs> the browser lets you browse everything. So limitless is sort of like promoted and shoved to us all hours of the day. I remember seeing a study that there's, a, there's actually a paralysis of decision, a paralysis of moving forward when there are too many choices. And the illustration back then was go to the cereal aisle at the grocery store. And what happens at the cereal aisle? There's a ton of choices, right? And you could sit there and be a little bit freaked out by all the choices. If the choices on the cereal aisle were a lot, the, the life we're living in now with all the digital choices makes it immeasurably harder. Consider this, that the digital tools in our hand can quickly become digital weapons on our soul. Let me say that again. The digital tool in your hand can quickly become a digital weapon on your soul. Here's the most insidious and dangerous part. You don't even know it's happening. In fact, like many addicts, you can be blind to it and quickly deny that it's happening to you. Oh, of course, other people have that problem, but I have a good relationship with my phone. It's healthy and there are limits and boundaries. Really? Look into that. Because these digital tools in our hand can quickly become weapons on our soul. How did Satan tempt Adam and Eve with the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? He tempted them to question God's love for them, and he tempted them to question his word. Did God really say? He still does that. This is a rampant tactic of the enemy. And he told them that they could be like God, understanding everything. What sets God apart from his created human beings is limits. God doesn't have limit in knowledge. God doesn't have limit in presence. God doesn't have limit in power. We do. We have limits to all of those things. Satan's temptation was, hey, everything, all the time, no limitations. I mean, this sounds an awful lot like the ads that bombard us every single day. Here's the point. You are not God. I am not God. Recognize and celebrate your limitations. Even as you reach for your potential, this doesn't mean stop reaching for your, for your potential, but it means celebrate your limitations. Peace replaces worry when you set down somehow this burden of being God. Peace replaces worry. Rest replaces weariness. Lightness replaces burden. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And he gives this weird image of two oxen. He says, take my yoke upon you. Well, that's a tool for work. But he says, take my, my yoke upon you. Working side by side with Jesus, walking this life side by side, knowing your limitations and recognizing Jesus' unlimitedness is, is a path for peace and lightness. Seeing your need opens you to huge fields of joy. If you're taking notes, I want to show you uh, two needs that all of you have every single day. That's a really bold statement, but it's true. Um, you're watching me. I'm not watching you somehow, but I know your needs. You have two needs 
all the time, every day. They are this. You need God and you need people. You need God and you need people. Now, before you, you click over to a cat video or whatever else holds your interest, as like, duh, I already know this. Before you do that, humble yourself with maybe learning something new and answer this question. Does your life or does the life you're living reflect what is most important in life? Does the life that you're living right now, does it reflect what you think is most important in life? Sit with that question for a little bit. Sit with that question in some quiet. Some of you will have a hard time even finding quiet, even in shelter in place, because you've busied yourself with noise. Sit down and sit with this question. Does the life you're living reflect what is most important in life? As a pastor, I hear from all kinds of different people, and I'm also just an observant, and I'm a human being. So when I hear about compulsive eating, checking your phone excessively, uh, exercise, Netflix watching, kid hovering, cleaning, adventuring, shopping, traveling, scrolling endlessly, what are these actions of your body trying to tell your soul? What are these things? What are you looking for? What are you scrolling for? Or do you reach for that quickly? Or maybe it's not something as sort of blatantly obvious as overeating. Maybe it's your fitness level and your diet and your calorie counting and your, and your time management. This can go sideways on all kinds of things. 2020 has not only been the cosmic slowdown or, or shutdown, it's been the cosmic slowdown. If we let it. Some of you are as busy as ever because you couldn't make that shift. Here's a couple of questions. What have you done with this shelter in place? How do you view this new season that we're in right now? Are you pining for all that you don't have? Or are you receiving and extra grateful and aware of all that you do have? I've loved hearing couples say, man, we've never walked together more. People saying, I've never cooked more. Um, I've never sat down and just played more games with, with my kids. Man, these are things that are gifts to us if we have eyes to see it. Does this season leave you bored or intrigued? God, what, what can I do in this bizarre new world that we're in that the whole world's talking about? Does this season find you worrying more or trusting more? Are you whining more right now or are you innovating more right now? Are your relationships deeper and richer and more vibrant or as they've been tested by, by being around each other more, are they becoming more frail? Are you seeing the cracks that were maybe hidden by your rampant activity? Remember way back in 2019 when you complained about not having enough alone time for a quiet time? Oh, I'm just too busy. Man, my, this life just has me, this valley's so crazy. I have no time for prayer. I get a little snippet of a worship song on the way to work, and I pray before my meals. Well, guess what? We have been gifted a bunch of time back if we're willing to redeem it and steer it and steward it in ways that reflect things that are most important. I've been thinking and praying about this on-ramp for months. I believe that this community group Sunday could be the most important, the most impactful one in our church history. Not all of church history. That would be a bit of a stretch. That would be overselling the product. I don't think this is the most in all of church history, but I think in our 14-year history, this community group on-ramp may have the most impact for long-term change. 
God has taken the towel. He sort of snapped it. This Rich Mullins line keeps coming back to me over and over, that, that the Spirit shakes us forward and shakes us free. God is shaking us forward and shaking us free if we're paying attention to. Many of the distractions that come with Bay Area living are gone. Or the ones that are left, they've already been tried and they're found wanting. I mean, those of you who are streaming endlessly, how quickly does that turn sour? And you go, ew, I don't want to do that anymore. The myriad of competing options remain sort of in the future right now still. I fear that we're going to kind of get back and sort of get locked into some things and not utilize this time that we're in. I mean, lingering at restaurants, wandering the malls, endless kid activities that you have to hurry your child off to. I mean, they've even closed the forest and the beach. That's, that's been tough for me, I've got to say. I've had to bring that one to the Lord. He's had to, to minister to my soul on that. Most of us have a commute that went from 45 minutes to 45 steps, right? Like, what are you doing with this extra time? Most of all, I think we are all open to change in some ways we were never open to before. Any of you like me where you go, I did this yesterday. You go walking into some place. I get halfway to the door. I'm like, mask. That's right. I got to go back to my car and get my mask. On my best days, I just leave some masks in my pocket. We're open to change right now. Digital everything, ordering ahead online, standing in lines, doing these bizarre little rituals with, with, with COVID. But this idea of being open to change is really good. We were made to change. We say this all the time, come as you are, but don't stay that way. It's a celebration that we are designed to change. So let me talk about your need for God to change you into the better you. You need God every single day, all the time. Just to do that, just to sustain life, you need that. But to grow and change into the you that you know, that reach for your potential, you need God for that. Next year, I level up. I level up to level five. And, um, and as I think about uh, my, my 50th birthday party uh, coming up, I, I think about this, I'm so glad I didn't take the advice that was written over and over in my Prospect Panther High School yearbook. Don't ever change. Don't ever change. K-I-T, stay cool. Don't ever change. Man, aren't you glad that you changed? I'm glad I changed from, from an 18-year-old senior at high school to now. God loves you just the way you are, just like Mr. Rogers, right? But here's where he parts ways with Mr. Rogers. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so much, he won't leave you there. He leads you like a good shepherd into the green pastures, into the streams of living water. We read Psalm 1 as a family this week that, 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 that Christians are like a tree planted by a stream, bearing its fruit in season. God loves you just the way you are and takes you by the hand and leads you to becoming new, to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So you are a new creation. This happens at your new birth, at your spiritual birth. You become truly alive. But here's a second dual reality. You also are becoming new. You are becoming uh, a, a new creation. Revelation 25 says this, 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Well, this is the power of <laughs> this is the power of preaching digitally. Um, my iPad is doing a 2020 COVID restart right now, full stop. There's a couple more verses that I don't have memorized, so we're going to wait patiently while my Apple sign goes away and while I log back in. This is the illustration for, um, for this. Listen, while this is happening, ladies in the back, can we go straight to our community group video that we were going to show? I want you to hear from real live community group members um, about their experience with community groups while this resets. Take a look. Hello, and God bless you, friends. I'm Eugene Chia and part of the men's community group here at NBC. And uh, when asked what my community group means to me, it's come to mean a whole lot of things. It's come to mean solid friendships and uh, just a good relationship with fellow fellow laborers in this body. It's also come to mean an opportunity to be able to serve more. And also just to be able to share things that are going on in life and to ask for prayer for various things. But uh, I think most of all, especially in these days, it's become a great source of fellowship, which seems to be really hard to come by. And uh, it's really good that we are able to have that time together, just as men, just to be able to talk about what's been going on and just to be able to share about life and what the Lord is doing in our lives. It's been a real encouragement to me and I know to quite a few others. God bless you. I like my community group because we get to have fun and make friends while deepening our relationship with God. Community group for me has been an amazing place where I can come together with members of our fellow church community and enjoy food with them, even though not right now, but usually enjoy food with them, enjoy community, laugh. Like, I think we laugh more on Monday nights than pretty much any other night. And it's just where I've met some awesome people. Yeah, I'd say it's just, it's a chance to get closer to God and see God through uh, similar people. And it's just been so great. And oh my gosh, I miss the food, but uh, all the laughs are still there and it's been fantastic. So the community group's really just been a a safe space on on Monday night specifically to just have a great night and get closer with everyone. I like community groups because it's an opportunity to connect. We get to learn about what other people are doing and share. So what I love about my community group is that it's a place where I feel comfortable to open up and be myself. I'm definitely more comfortable in small groups. Uh, We've also been able to study several books of the Bible together, so it's been great um, with me being on track and reading my Bible more. Um, It's also a place where we can share prayer requests and also celebrate praises together. Hi there, I'm Jessica. And I'm Eric. And what we love about our Young Marrieds community group is just the amazing friendships that we've built, uh, the sense of family that it really is, and uh, just getting to grow in our marriage and uh, get to get to know other people that are in the same stage of life as us. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, you guys, for sharing that. Thanks, Kelly, for putting that together. We're doing the pandemic pivot, right? That means when you get an Apple sign, you're supposed to have your sermon notes. You just go to what else is happening. This is the year. What we were talking about is the fact that you need God to change. You were made for change, and you need God to change. 
Let me read this verse again where it locked up. Revelation 21.5 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image of into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Man, you were made for change. So don't freak out when it comes. Embrace a little bit of change in this season. Notice who's doing the creating. God, who's working to make all things new. God, who, do, who has the power and where does the change come from? God. One more thing to notice is How does the change come? It comes little by little. You are being transformed into the same image. How? By beholding the one that you're you're coming into um, likeness with. Here's one one more thing. It's like PSS. We are being transformed uh, with this idea by beholding the Lord. So don't lose heart. Stay the course. God is leading you to change, and that's a good thing. So I'm driving this message this morning to a point of decision. That is that you would either join a community group for the first time or strongly consider it. I don't even want you to pray about it. It's, it's obvious from Scripture. It's commanded that we meet together. Or if you're already in a community group, that you would rekindle your commitment, that you would fan into flame why you are in the, um, this group to have a passion for fellowship around the word. All right, so that's your need for God. Let me move on to point two. What's point two? Not only do you need God um, to help you grow, you also need people to help you grow. God designed it this way. Uh, Imagine how God could have designed this whole process, right? It could just be God is my BFF, right? The moment you come into an awareness that God exists, that he wants to be in a relationship with you, you're like, I check, yes, me and God. Right? And, then, and then no one else matters. But that's not how he did it. The good and perfect design of God is communal. The good and perfect design of God is communal. If you're taking notes, write down these four things. These are four ways from Scripture. I could have gone on, but I'll just give you four. Four ways that we clearly need others to grow up in God. Ready? Number one, we need others to shepherd and teach us. We need other people to shepherd and teach us. God in his great wisdom appointed pastors and teachers amongst other gifts, but pastors and teachers for the flock. Couldn't God just download all that you need to know, right? The moment that you, that you get saved, you're told take your pinky and dip it in jelly and it, you know, just everything you need from God is right there. It's not how it works. God appointed pastors and teachers, Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Preaching is commanded in the Bible, why? Because preaching is needed and is good. So one of the things you need is others to shepherd and teach you. This is our formal teaching time. We devote large chunks of time to teaching the scriptures because that's the word of life, but also in many, many other smaller ways. Here's number two. We need others to strengthen us. You and I need other people to strengthen us. 
Acts 14, 21. By the way, these are all in your notes, those little blue uh, scripture verses. These are all in there. Acts 14, 21 says this. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, can't you just tell yourself that? Yeah, of course you could. Can't you just read it in the scriptures? Yeah, of course you can. And you need other people to strengthen you. Here's number three. We need others over and over again. That means we need them not just once at the beginning of our walk with God, not just at the end, sort of on our deathbed to remind us where we're going, assurance of salvation. We need people over and over and over again. Ongoing daily exhortation and reminding. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you Um, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen to this. But exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day, as long as those called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If sin ever takes a day off, I guess maybe we could take a day off of encouraging one another. Sin never takes a day off from me. Ever. I asked my youth pastor as a high school student, do these sins go away? He says, no. God gives you victory. There's growth. There's immense growth. But temptation doesn't take a day off. Sin doesn't take a day off. An unbelieving, evil uh, world around us doesn't take an, a, a day off. And so we don't take a day off from encouraging one another. Our passion, our commitment, our good judgment, our faith, they all leak. They all go leaking out of us. We are created both to give and receive encouragement, exhortation, and reminders every single day. Here's number four. We need others to give clarity to who we are and how we fit. Others are vital for us to fully function. Let me say this one again. We need others to give clarity to who we are and how we fit. We're actually in desperate need of other people around us to fully function. Listen to how clear it is that we need one another. This isn't just a nice to have for people who are relational. This is a vital need. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged, God designed this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Your need of other Christians is not a defect and it doesn't doesn't in some way um, compete with your complete dependence on God. You need God and you need one another. You are designed like a body. I mean, just imagine your second biggest toe saying, peace, I'm out. I'm going to go do this thing alone. I mean, it can't go wandering off, but if it could, what an odd little, like your second biggest toe, there it goes. I'm going to go form my own home church. I'm going to go form my own ideas. You guys are a pain to be with. That's not how it works. Your body is designed to glorify God and show off his amazing goodness. Listen to this. Your need of one another is the most basic foundational truth there is. God's good and perfect design is communal. 
that you need one another. Now, I want you to go back through this list with another lens. Okay, here's the other lens. You are an other to someone else. In other words, this isn't all just about you. That's kindergarten. We graduate from kindergarten, right? This is about other people as well. So not only do you need other people, you are an other people to people who need you as an other. Here we go. Number one, some are appointed to the whole church to be a pastor or a teacher, but others to a home. If you're a parent, you're called to pastor and shepherd and teach your children to, to, to raise them up, to show them how to live this godly life. Maybe you're a community group leader. You are needed by others to shepherd, to care, and to teach. How about the second one? You are needed by others to strengthen souls and encourage faith. It's not just that you need encouraging uh, to stay in the faith, but you are an encouragement to other people. How about the, the third one? The third one is that you are needed by others to warn of sin and keep your heart soft and open to the truth of God's love. Isn't it true when someone else comes up to you? I mean, and says, how's it going? And you're like, I just can't even keep this inside. Man, I was reading this morning, and God loves me. God knows my name. God's so personal. Man, that does amazing things for you, but, and you're not even trying to like teach them a lesson or be their leader or have a spiritual moment. You're just living life. But there's a mutual benefit to all of this. Finally, you are needed by others to see how they fit and function. What on earth is an elbow apart from an arm? I mean, if you're a nose hair and there's no nose, how do you know where you fit? But once you find your people, you're like, oh, I get it. If you're prideful, you might say, I don't have to be all the gifts. If you're, if you're self-depreciating and beaten down, you might go, man, I have value and joy. And as a nose, you stand boldly and proudly on, the, on that face, right? You find out who you are even by being with other people. So your need for community isn't just about you. Your presence, your commitment, your consistency is needed by other people. Let me chat about membership just for a moment. We began this church without membership because we believed you could start a church without the official church membership process. And what I looked around and saw was many, many of my church friends and churches I've been a part of did membership really poorly. I said, how's membership working at your church? They said, it's kind of an outdated list or we call people in, but we don't really follow up with it. After about five years, we, we just studying the scriptures and looking, saying we, we knew we wanted membership at some point, but we wanted to roll it out in a godly and good way. Probably five years into the church, we rolled out church membership, and we see membership on every page of the Old Testament and New Testament, although the, the, the idea and form of a, an official process isn't laid out specifically. There's freedom there. We, we were convicted and wanted to pursue it well, and so we, we, we created a process. In fact, um, we have an exploring membership class that's coming up. Uh, we are calling you, if you haven't taken a step of membership, we are inviting you to explore what we mean by membership. We want to link arms with you. We want to be committed to you as church leaders and committed as a family. And we want that as clear as who you as a parent might be, standing on judgment day to say, who, who are you accountable for? And lots of kids came and went, but it was clear who my kids were. We want to be that as a, as a church family. So a next step for some of you might be the Exploring Membership class um, coming up on November 1st. It's Sunday after church via Zoom. Uh, there's a link below. You can sign up for it. It's called Exploring Membership. So maybe you're not ready to become a member yet, but you want to hear what does this church have to say about membership. So, so, so check that out. I bring up membership around this idea of community groups and community because we, we think that um, it's an important step. 
I've been driving this morning to this action step that you would commit to joining a community group. You know, community requires commitment. We just know this to be true. This is true in all walks of life. I want you to hear clearly, you don't need my permission as a pastor, as a church leader, as a person talking on a screen. You do not need my permission to fellowship with other believers around the word. It's your God-given right to go meet with your friends, to go meet with your brothers and sisters. So you don't need a pastor to tell you to do that. So why do we have community groups? We have community groups, and they're, they're designed as structures to be like a greenhouse for growth. Many times we have good intentions to meet up with our friends, but then weeks and months go by, and we keep saying the same thing, don't we? Hey, we should get together sometime. CGs put your good intentions on the calendar. The program community groups, it takes your good intentions and it puts it on your calendar every single day of the week. Remember that we're limited, we're not limitless. I love this idea from Larry Osborne who wrote a book called Sticky Church, um, all about community groups. But he talks about people being like Legos. And some people are this size Lego and some people are this size Legos. Legos are made to connect. Right? They have little connectors. But what happens when all of the connectors are filled up? They can't magically make more. Some people are small, uh, have smaller number of connectors. Some have bigger number of connectors. But there is a limit to the number of connections you can make. Committing to a community group is this. It's saying, I am committing, I am choosing, I am devoting myself, I am being specific to some specific people. Jesus didn't just love everyone. He also loved very specific people in a very specific time, in a very specific place, in very specific ways. So a community group is saying, I am taking some of my connectors and I'm devoting them to these people in my church. That's what I'm calling you to do. One of the reasons people come to churches and they find them as really, really friendly, but it's hard to go deep. It's hard to get plugged in. You know what that is? It's that a lot of people have their Lego connectors already filled up. So they're friendly, but, but they don't have the bandwidth. They're limited. They're not God. So here's, what, here's a, a great thing that happen. New people who are looking for connection connect with other new people who are also looking for connection. Both of them have open connectors on their little Lego body. And so, not body, that's weird. Um, life, metaphor. And so they connect that way, right? So, so, so um, groups are there. This you first theme, I'm gonna touch more on next week. I'm gonna start the message next week looking at you, you first. But 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Those are seven huge words to remember. I want to advance. I'm out of order because of our little snafu. Go to the slide of the different groups that are available, please. Your next step is to take a look at this list and click on the link below this YouTube video. And if you're not there, it's uh, nbcsj.org backslash community groups. Click there you will be able to take the next step, which is to say, I want to join a group. When you click on one of the groups, you'll find the parameters, kind of how they meet, where they meet, when they meet, all of that. And then you can click join the group. That's going to send a message directly to the small group leader. I'm out of time. I'm going to pray right now, and I want to invite you to go ahead and check out those, those groups and make a click. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your heart for us and for, from that, giving us a heart for other people. God, I thank you for um, 
the little snippets of ways that people have expressed how their community group has been awesome to them. God, we could do a whole separate video about the challenges of being in relationship. That might be really valuable just to keep it really honest. We're not trying to oversell something. This is meeting as an everyday ordinary person with other everyday ordinary people to the glory of God. Father, I'm thankful for this last season for the community group that I have devoted my life and time and attention to and the people in that group who have devoted their time and attention and love and care and, and, and on, on my life as well. Father, we give you this moment. We pray that you would do the spiritual work that is needed to draw people into fellowship, into connection with one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.